Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. It's a Thursday here on the Blogging the Boys Podcast Network, and that means it's time to get riled up on the Cowboys with your man, Tom Ryle, your boy, Roy White, and a very special guest who we'll get to in just a second. A lot of Cowboys news to discuss. Of course, we're trying out some kickers this week. We'll see if any of them can crack the roster. Highly anticipated that one of them can. And we'll get to that name in just a sec. But before we do that, uh, remember to follow, follow Tom at Tom Ryle BTB on Twitter. You can follow me at RW3 on the Twitter sphere as well. You can follow our content at Blogging the Boys on Twitter and bloggingtheboys.com where you can get all that great daily content and the daily podcast content available for you. But a special guest I mentioned that's going to be joining us, Tom, is none other than our dear friend, one Jeffrey Cavanaugh. Uh, currently operating as a Cowboys insider for the Ben and Skin show here in Dallas locally, 97.1. You can follow him at Time for Jeffrey on Twitter. And, of course, you can see him doing all his great YouTube things. And it just so happens he was out in Cowboys camp, Tom. So with that being said, uh, we feel like we have someone who has direct eyes, 10 days nearly worth of eyes, on the Cowboys during practice. And Jeff watches all of it from the toes uh-huh. to the nose, so to speak. And, uh, and I promise you, he has seen some things. So with that, Jeff, I mean, I guess I'll start with just kind of broad stroke stuff. First and foremost, from the top down, Mike McCarthy is he looking at the chopping block this year? If he fails to, to reach a certain point, And if that is the case, what is that point? Uh, I'm sure. I mean, Jerry, I love how Jerry opened camp uh, basically with like the, and the first thing I'm going to address is I can't believe you guys keep questioning if I like Mike McCarthy. It's like, well, Jerry, you're the one who said Sean Payton's name 15 times over the off season, dude. Um, so yeah, I would bet that if they, like if they don't win the division or they don't make the playoffs that Dan Quinn's hot on the heels of Mike McCarthy and, the Sean Payton one is the one that I'm not sure because two things. One, he could always pick somewhere else. Two, he would want personnel control, and I still don't know if Jerry's ever going to do that again. And three, Sean Payton loves to have Sean Payton in the headlines, so he may he may not even want to coach, and he may just be doing the thing where, hey, talk about me. That's fun. But Dan Quinn's here, and I think everybody loves him. So, you know, if the season is a no-doubt failure, then sure. I, I bet McCarthy is gone. Uh, and then it comes down to Dan Quinn, Sean Payton, or whom? Does he need to reach a certain point, though? Like, does he need to reach a playoff win? Does he need to reach, in my opinion, the NFC Championship game or bust? Like, anything less than that? With, you know, the caveat of having a healthy Dak all season, right? All that given stuff. 
Um, yeah, anything less than that to me, I think gets him fired. I think that's the hard part is like the, how does it happen? Like if you lost in a divisional game, 35 to 34, uh, like, I, you know, I think there's scenarios where you could make the playoffs, not win a playoff game. And you still bring back the head coach. Um, I don't know, the Dan Quinn thing is what makes it really interesting because everybody loves him. Everybody loves him. And now he's been removed from being a head coach long enough that people think he's going to be an incredible head coach, even though we have had that happen before and the recent history wasn't so good. <laughs> But we're, be, we're beyond that now. So, uh, yeah, that makes it tough. I'm sure McCarthy knows that he needs to kick ass. Yeah, I, I love that little reminder that Dan Quinn was fired as a head coach, and people seem to have completely forgotten that. He may just be a guy that found his perfect level in the NFL. And the way it went this past offseason, you wonder if maybe he realizes that. But I want to ask you about some of the things on the roster. One thing in particular that I've been looking at very closely, we were all kind of unhappy about how the Cowboys handled the wide receiver position between the Amari Cooper trade and they didn't keep Cedric Wilson around. And yet it seems like it's working out. This bunch of wide receivers, particularly the top, five or six guys out there, uh, obviously including CeeDee Lamb, but with the rookie and Noah Brown and the others, they seem to really be doing well. Is that what you were seeing out there when you were in Oxford? Yeah, I think um, Noah Brown, especially like Noah Brown looks different than I've ever seen him before. You know, like when Garrett was here and then up until I guess last season, it was really weird because there aren't a lot of wide receivers in the league that you'd be like, hey, you know that guy? And you're like, oh yeah, the guy who blocks real good. And, like, Noah Brown was a wide receiver who was known because he could block real good. Uh, but, like, this is – he's probably lost 10 or 15 pounds. He's moving the best I've ever seen. He's catching everything. Noah Brown's probably been the second-best receiver in camp. Now, I don't know if that is necessarily a good thing. If maybe you'd rather have another veteran presence or some – like, if you had, oh, I don't know, Amari Cooper, like, yeah, you'd have a better receiver core. Uh, but I think it'll be interesting – because Noah's playing well, Jalen Tolbert looks good, and then there's really a fun battle up and down the roster as you look at, like, Kevontae Turpin, who I would imagine is going to make the team because I think he's their returner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Simi Fihoko is having a really nice camp as a second-year wide receiver. Uh, Dennis Houston's been running with the first team, but I still wouldn't project him to make the roster, which that might make me an idiot, but that's just the way I'm viewing it. Uh, so, like, they've got a battle, and they want to see all these different young guys and I kind of get it, but I kind of get it only because they've already screwed it up. Because, like, now you're at the point where James Washington gets hurt, and it's like, well, who are you going to sign? Which injury-prone guy or which <laughs> over-the-hill guy or whatever? And if they're, you know, averse to that, I would get it. But I think if we go through a preseason game or two and the receiving core isn't up to snuff, then I think what you do is you start talking about trading for a guy. And, I, I, like, I don't think that's impo- – I don't think it's impossible that there's a – top three or four wide receiver to start the season for the Cowboys, who's not on the roster yet. Yeah, I, I saw, I think it was uh, Clarence Hill was floating the idea that Tristan Hill might be trade bait, that they may have a surplus on the defensive line and might want to dangle him for out there. But that most of the news has been rather good. Uh, as a matter of fact, it seems more positive than normal, even for the over-optimistic viewpoint people take during camp 
but what do you what did you see that has you really concerned while you were there? Is there anything that's out there? I think if if we were if I were to pick one off the top of my head, I'd say Terrence Steele seems to be creating some unease. So what did you see that made you kind of go? I think Terrence Steele's a really good one because even before they put on the pads, that was one of the things where it was like, man, there sure is a lot of Tank Lawrence and uh, Micah Parsons getting sacks, which, hey, they're good players, but uh, that carried over into pads being on. So for Terrence, I mean, I think the offensive line as a whole, which that's something that you're going to need to be good if they're going to be what they want to be. But Connor McGovern doesn't look good at left guard. Uh, Tyler Smith is showing the traits that they loved and the reason that they picked him so high but he's kind of up and down uh so i mean offensive line is one of those things where i had somebody ask me the other day it's like you got two hall of famers what do you want and i'm like well offensive line and secondary it's kind of like you're as good as your weakest link if you've got a weakest link and especially if you've got like two next to each other it don't matter you don't have a good offensive line um so i think it's probably the things i went into camp worrying about was I don't think Josh Ball's a capable NFL swing tackle. Uh, We'll see what Tyler Smith and Terrence Steele do as NFL starters and the receiver core, even though like I like how Noah Brown looks, I sure would feel a lot better if you're going into a season counting on proven commodities over putting so much responsibility on a third round rookie and either Noah Brown or insert name of guy who makes team. Well, perhaps maybe where the Cowboys can get some help in that department, at least Cowboys fans are hoping that Tony Pollard is going to be more a part of that conversation this year. But again, like that's always been something we've crossed our fingers, hope to see. There's even been talks about it. And then when it comes game time, that never comes to fruition. Was there any indication either from the talks that you had with coaches or buzz you know, on the field or just in the play calling that made you feel like, okay, I believe it this year when they say Tony Pollard's going to be a larger part of the equation in the passing game. I think he'll probably be a larger part. It's just a matter of how much larger, like they are showing out there um, some formations, like they were doing fourth and short stuff and Tony Pollard was the running back and Zeke was the fullback. Uh, They had some sets where Tony Pollard is lined up as a wide receiver and Zeke is, on the field. My only thing about that is like, I'm the biggest Tony Pollard fan probably on planet earth. Um, I guess a lot of the Cowboy fans are, but like what he does when he touches the ball, if he did it with just, you know, more touches, then he would be a top three, top five running back in the league. And I can't, I don't think any other team wouldn't find out if he could continue that success with more touches, but also when you start talking about like, oh, we're going to put two running backs on the field and the defense is going to have no idea what to do. Yeah, they are. They're going to watch that he lines up at receiver. They're going to play him as he's a receiver and he's not as good a receiver as receivers are. So like, while I get the appeal, if it gets you a matchup that you're looking for that you can go hunt for the most part, teams who do that bit where it's like, oh, I've got a second running back that's running on the field. Where's he going to go? The answer is usually he's going to motion out to the slot and he's going to be a worse receiver than receivers are. So like, I'll believe it when I see it that they're going to use him more, but they might have a depleted enough wide receiver core that he is one of their four best receivers, and that might make sense. So more Tony Pollard, please. Well, staying then in that 
running back room, right? Because this year and next year really is kind of like a big decision point for the Cowboys. You've got Tony Pollard coming up on free agency and you've got Ezekiel Elliott who like finally the poison pill can be swallowed potentially next season and they can get out of this deal that we all have agreed has, you know, hung around their neck like an albatross. So at this point, how would you kind of play that going forward? Would you look to try to sign Tony Pollard here this offseason or this season to extend him and risk giving him an above market deal even still? Or are you going to let them two go and just kind of take your chances in the draft? I'm not afraid of I'm not afraid of letting running backs go and just pick a guy in the fourth round and pick another one in the sixth. And I bet you'd be fine. Uh, but some people might be surprised by my Jeff hates running backs take here. I'd offer Tony Pollard like three years, 24 million today. Exactly. I would offer him like $8 million a year, not $15 million a year to a guy whose results when he gets the ball, because what, what I like is with running backs, the thing that the reason Zeke has big numbers in his career is volume. He gets the ball a ton. So he has a bunch of yards. Tony Pollard throughout his career per catch, per rush, per target, success rate, whatever you want to measure it by, broken tackle percentage, evaded, uh, like everything that we can measure about running back play, he, he measures as one of the best in the league, and Zeke averages as meh. So I would absolutely love to keep Pollard at like $8 million a year. And the only reason I think that they won't is because I think the Joneses hate to be wrong, and they would be scared of what would happen with Zeke and his camp if Tony Pollard gets a new deal. Because that would tell Zeke for sure, hey, when this season's over, you're cut. Because we just paid this guy. So after this year, you're going to be out of here and he's going to be. And I just don't think they'll do that to one of their superstars that sells the most jerseys. So I think with Pollard, we'll see after this year ends if they can hold him down enough that the rest of the league doesn't offer him a ton of money, then maybe he can still play out that way. But I don't think they can do it now because I don't think they want to piss off Zeke. Yeah. That's a good point, and unfortunately, we're we're kind of stuck with a team that looks at dollars and things like that. Unlike, say, the Los Angeles Rams, when Sean McVay took what certainly looked like a swipe at the Joneses with his recent comments about how you build a team and when you go for it and everything. But we'll leave that one alone for a while. Uh, with the the receiver situation. Uh, how do you see Dalton Schultz helping out that and explain why that makes him the most important receiver they have? Sir, CD is the most important. Dalton's going to, Dalton Schultz is going to have probably a hundred catches in a thousand yards though. Like Dalton Schultz is going to put up video game numbers. It's going to be insane just because of what they have at wide receiver. The fact that that wide receiver room is so top heavy and by top heavy, I mean one guy and that the quarterback loves Dalton Schultz and a lot of people crap on Dalton Schultz because he's not George Kittle or Travis Kelsey or whatever in terms of being a freak, but the dude's a good player. He's a good tight end. Um, and the quarterback trusts him and he makes the plays. He gets open, he makes the catches, and we pretend that he's Jason Witten at the end. Jason Witten at the end was averaging like seven yards a catch. Schultz was 10 and a half last year. That ain't bad for a tight end. Uh, he's going to have huge numbers. And it's going to put them in that weird spot, which I think all Cowboy fans get, because again, he's not the freak, 
that some of the tight ends in the league are, but he's about to, I believe, put up numbers that will rival any tight end in football. And is a team going to pay him like that? Are the Cowboys going to pay him like that? I don't <laughs> think so. But like Dalton Schultz, I think he's going to have a CD will probably have 150 targets. And I bet Schultz has 130. Like Dalton's going to get the ball. Did you guys see the theory uh, that was floated out there by Mickey? And it didn't get a lot of play, but I thought it was actually pretty sound as to how to handle Dalton Schultz. Like people were mad that they didn't sign him to a long-term deal this offseason. But the best way to play it might be to franchise tag him for two years in a row. Because even in doing that, you're going to pay him less on average over the next two years then you would sign him to annually if you signed him to like a four or five year deal anyway. So like this is one of those situations, especially with this position, you can kind of string it out for two years and take your chances. And I still think they'll get more out of him than what they wind up paying for as long as he doesn't get hurt. Yeah. I don't hate that. That's not a bad strategy. If you're like, look, the market says that because the market this offseason says he's what a $15 million player. Yeah, and he's 15. And, and on a second franchise tag, I think he would only make like 13 or 14 in the second year. Yes. So you'll pay 25 million, give or take, over two, as opposed to signing him to 15 per. Like, yeah, from a team perspective, that that definitely makes sense if they do it that way. And I think it also gives them the ability because one of their favorite things is can we draft somebody to do your job for cheaper? And so with Dalton Schultz, it sucks that Jake Ferguson pulled a hammy and hadn't been practicing lately. But when he was drafted and when the franchise tag was signed and it was, and I, you didn't hear a peep about a contract being done for Dalton Schultz. And, you know, a week into the tag, I was like, they ain't going to do a contract with him. They're going to draft his replacement. And then they did, I think, but he has to prove it. Otherwise. Yeah. And their back pocket. It's like, guys, we can just tag him again. But he's yeah. potentially got two years to do it. I mean, which is the amount of time that Schultz had to figure yeah. it out before yeah. he became what he became. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun, but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that T-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Uh, 
on the other side of the ball, you know, we know it sounds like Mike Parsons is going to be Micah Parsons from last year, only better. Uh, he's healthier uh, and apparently has learned a lot about the game in this year. Who else on defense was really standing out to you during the practices? Anthony Brown. Nobody likes hearing that. Everybody's bored of Anthony Brown. I like it. Okay. I think I love the guy. Okay. I think that's a great answer. I'm glad to hear you say that. Anthony Brown's been the best corner in camp. Uh, he's been really, really good. Um, J. Ron Curse has been great. Uh, Tank Lawrence looks like he's down five or ten pounds and looks really, really good. I don't, I don't really have a giant standout defensive tackle, but a bunch of them have kind of flashed at times, whether it's Osa or Gallimore or Tristan Hill more than I would have expected. Um, Sam Williams getting a lot of love out there. Williams and Dante Fowler both are having moments where it's like, whoo, that dude can get off the ball. That dude can rush the quarterback. So, like, the pass rush group I think looks pretty darn good. I'm pretty excited about what those guys are going to do. And the uh, Jaron Curse looks incredible. Micah Parsons looks incredible. And Anthony Brown looks really good. Those are probably the first three, I would say. Yeah. Since you, since you mentioned, real quick, since you mentioned Fowler, who do you see as the odd man out the defensive end group? I guess it depends how many they keep because off the top of my head, if you go Tank and Dorrance are the starters and then the backups in theory would be Tank's backup is, I know the depth chart came out, but this is not how they've been lining up. Uh, Basham would be behind Tank and then Fowler behind Dorrance and then Sam Williams. Like that's five. And if you count Parsons, that would be six. And you could keep all of them, I think. And so I guess who am I missing? Who would be Goldston, I guess, would be the guy that I would think they want to keep, but he's may playing not D be tackle. So Goldston, they have listed as a defensive end on the depth chart, and I have no idea why. He he has not taken a single snap at defensive end. He's really playing, he's playing D tackle now. Like he's 290 pounds. Oh, he got really big. yeah. Okay, yeah. so that, let's talk about that position then because Osa, Gallimore, Watkins, you just named uh, Golston and then Bohana and Hill. So, so maybe that's okay. why I feel like Hill is the guy that they could dangle yeah. Yeah. from a trade perspective. We're going to do it this way. I'm going to type them out as I go, because you guys tell me what's the right number 10 defensive lineman, probably maybe 10. Yeah, it's usually that. I think Quinn would like that, but I look back and they were running eight or nine almost all of last. You year. know what? Actually, of I, I, I would say nine with Parsons included would be the tenth. Like you know, yeah, treat him. Okay, like then that's gonna. Yeah, we're gonna end up cutting guys you wouldn't think would be cut then. Because yeah. here's how we go: we go tank. Uh, we'll we'll go to ten because we'll count Micah. How about that? So Micah, okay. uh, Dorrance, Sam Williams, Dante Fowler. Osa, uh, ba- Basham, and now in the middle is Osa and Gallimore are your starters. I'm already at eight, which gives me two spots for Ridgeway, uh, R- Watkins, Ridgeway, Bohana, Hill. Um, Tristan Hill. So it, two of those are the odd man out. I could definitely see Bohana being one of the odd men out because he was last year's pick and Ridgeway's this year's pick. Yeah. I could see if they wanted to leave an edge guy off. I'd have to see what the numbers are money-wise, but Basham would probably be the option. But I feel like you want that many 
edge. Well, and what do they count Barr as? Because Mike McCarthy's talking about him as a line of scrimmage player. So yeah, they haven't listed listed backing up Micah. But again, that's why you don't read too much into these things because that's probably an exclusive pass rusher. Yeah. You definitely so, don't want him in coverage, I guess, based on his numbers with pro football focus over the last couple of years. Yeah. So I think the odd men out. Oh, and I didn't even list Golston. So <laughs> if you count Micah, your line of scrimmage players are Tank, Micah, Dorrance, Williams, Fowler, Basham. That's six edge guys. And then. Osa, Gallimore, Golston, Watkins, Ridgeway, Bohana, Hill is five, six, seven. That's 13 guys. And that's unless you want to count Barr, which would be 14. And you're keeping 10 of them. So some of them dudes ain't making it. It it sure feels like, Jeff, though, like as we're talking through it and as I hear the winds blowing both in the media and outside of it, like everything seems to be trending in the direction that this defense is going to be better than it was a year ago. And I just I struggle with that only because the prevailing wisdom was not that they were better on paper just a couple of months ago. So how do you reconcile those two things that appear to be at odds with one another right now with the way the Cowboys defense is being talked about? I think that the uh, absence of Gregory will be replaced, no problem. And I love Randy Gregory, but I think between Dorrance, Sam Williams, Dante Fowler, like that's done, no problem. The defensive tackle group could be marginally better because it's going to be basically the same guys just further into their careers. The reason I would say that this defense isn't going to be better, no way, no how, and maybe it could be like in terms of yards given up, but you're not going to replicate those turnovers. No one does ever, ever. You're preaching to the the choir here. I've been saying that. Yeah. Whoever leads the league in turnovers forced, guess what? You're going to have 10 to 15 less the next year. So, like, you're just – you're not – Trayvon Diggs will continue to catch footballs that he has a chance to catch. But, I mean, I would make a wager. You ain't going to lead the league in turnovers again, and you're probably not going to be in the top five. And so that variance on its own, I think, is going to be hard for the defense to make the same impact. Mm-hmm. But I, as what I see as something that's hopeful is if you take away the, the turnover margin from last year, the Cowboys were a pretty mediocre defense when you really get down to it. They weren't great. They weren't bad. They were just kind of middle of the pack. So there's room for improvement in run stopping and just in basic pass defense. And I think even in getting after the passer, which I think is what, you know, people focus on those sacks and those interceptions. There's a lot more that goes on on a good defense. And so that's where I'm hoping maybe the fact that the secondary looks like the strongest part of the defense, uh, you know, even Leighton Vandresh apparently is is working towards a bit of a resurgence this year. So maybe the fundamentals will just be better. And even though it won't look as flashy, the defense will actually do more to help win games. I think I think the only thing I would fight you on a little bit is the final sentence there. Like I think the defense on a per down play-to-play basis can absolutely be better than last year. Mm-hmm. But I think because the turnover number will be lower, yeah. that if you're talking about like points, I don't know, saved or whatever, or generated for your offense, that those turnovers would be a big enough swing in that 
mm-hmm. that not in terms of, you know, how many points you're able to score or allow or whatever. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think, I think if you said, Hey, we're lining up and it's third and five, you, this could be a better defense than last year. I do. Yeah. I believe that. Yeah. I realized I was leaving that kind of hanging for you there when I, when I said that, even as I was saying it. <laughs> so did, did uh, you both agree? I mean, I, I kind of look at it as Dan Quinn's description of it. Like in the end, you know, everybody has all these numbers, but what matters is scoring defense. And last year, the Cowboys like did do pretty well in that department. They were eighth in the NFL, allowing 21.2 points per game. The reason, and I know that's not the best predictor. Of I would take that again. Year to year. But that's kind of what I, when I ask if they're going to be better, that's the margin that I'm looking at. Because quite honestly, if I can keep the opponent under 20, I feel really good about my chances of winning a football game with that quarterback as my Prescott given nothing else. Do can you I not? ask? Um, I do, but can I ask you this? Do you, and I don't know if I do or not, because there are other bad divisions, but that you get six games against the East. Like, do you think if the schedule were someone else's schedule, that might be 23 or 24? Mm. You, might, yeah. you might rank somewhere different. There's, I'm just thinking that top there. of my head. Yeah, there's a skew yeah. there. I definitely think that, but that's not changing this year, right? They're going to get six right. games against that, that same division. And one would argue they're also getting four games against the all the other worst division in football this year yeah. in the AFC yeah. South. And so, I mean, yeah, I get it, right? We're potentially splitting hairs there. Um, but I think, hey, if the, the turnovers aren't quite there for the Cowboys like they were a season ago – there's still a greater potential that maybe they can be better between the twenties. Maybe they can be better around the end zone, keeping teams out. And that maybe all comes out in the wash, right? Maybe they don't get the turnover that takes six away, but they hold them in the red zone that only allows three instead of seven. And I think if, I think most Cowboy fans, I think I would certainly, even if you said it was less turnovers, but more solid defense on the non-turnover plays and your defense ended up being about what it was just in a different way, you'd take that, wouldn't you? Yeah. Like, I'll take a top 10 defense and take my chances with what the Cowboys offense is going to do. I'll take that yeah. all day. Um, uh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, you already mentioned, like, Noah Brown and Cindy Fajoko have really seemed to take a jump this year. And from my much more distant viewpoint, it seems that Nashon Wright is a guy on defense who's uh, stepped up his game a good bit. Uh, is that a good list of the, the candidates for most improved players, or do you see some other people that need to be thrown in that and do you disagree about any of those? Um, I think, like, the secondary group, actually, I'm kind of worried if one of the corners goes down. And you're not wrong. Like, Nashawn Wright's had a pretty decent camp. He's batted a lot of balls. He's picked off some passes. Like, he's, he's made a bunch of plays. I'm just still terrified of six-foot-four corners. It's just me. Uh, and Kelvin Joseph, I think, has just not had a very good camp. So, I, I don't love it if anybody goes down in that secondary. And I wonder if maybe rookie Deron Bland might have to be a dude that steps up and plays corner if that happens. Because I just uh, – I'm trying to think about your most improved because – what keeps jumping in my mind is most disappointing and it's taking me to Kelvin Joseph. Um, improved on defense. Can't say it about Anthony Brown. He always has good camps. Can't say it about Micah Parsons because he's already the best defensive player in football. Um, man, hopefully it's tank. He looks great. 
It'd be a weird uh, thing to be improved from already being a really, really good player, but he looks up uh, Vanderish. I was going to say, I was gonna, there's one name that I think, you know, we, we joked that he lost his nickname over the last two years. Like no one called him the wolf wolf hunter. Cause he didn't really earn that, but there's, looks there's great. chatter at camp. Looks great. He was maybe earning that again this season. He looks great for sure. Okay. That's an interesting. Well, that'd be one. great if he's filling in the traditional linebacker role so that you've got Parsons and Barr out there on the edges terrorizing quarterbacks and still knocking a lot of running backs down hard. That would be a lot of fun. I like it. And he does, man. Like Van Der Esch was one of the guys I was surprised because last year coming in, I think the second half of the year he actually played well too. But coming into last year, it's unfortunate when you just get like still photos and they kind of blow up like that. But there were pictures of Van Der Esch kind of when it was camp time. And it was like, that don't look like an NFL linebacker anymore. <laughs> I remember when that dude was chiseled. Uh, he looks good again. That dude, he's, he's looking good. Well, one part that's not looking good for the Cowboys and has us all concerned, in fact, has the Cowboys so concerned that they're looking outside the organization this week. Uh, will we see the return of Brett Maher? And really, can they do anything at the position at this point that's going to make us feel comfortable enough going into the season? Or is this just something, Jeff, that we're going to have to deal with throughout the year is – knowing a coaching staff that's willing to take a game to a final kick and potentially take a game to a final kick in which their kicker has to make a kick that's beyond their scope, right? Beyond their capabilities versus a guy who, you know, may benefit from being forced to have to go for it, knowing that his kicker doesn't have that leg. Like it, Am I what, I what I'm almost asking is like, is there a way that this could be a backdoor good thing for the Cowboys? No. Uh, I would love it if it was like, hey, yeah, we're just not going to kick a bunch of field goals. But uh, I, like, kicking is so crazy in the NFL because it's Justin Tucker and then it's everybody else. So, like Justin Tucker is incredible. Everybody else is one year they make 88%, one year they make 81 And like, that's just where they bounce around between. If you have a kicker that can't even reach that threshold, then yeah, you screwed up because there's so many dudes that can do it. Uh, Maher is back. He's in camp. He's signed. Uh, Garibay is cut because he made about 50% of his kicks in camp. And so now it's Liram versus um, Brett Maher, who like, I know we all remember his last run with the Cowboys. It was at three or four years ago and it was real bad. Mm -hmm. Last year he was 16 of 18 for the saints and he kicked it well. Um, so no, I don't think there's anything that's going to happen that'll make the fan base feel good because we, I was there for 10 days watching dudes miss kicks and Liram wasn't bad, but even kicking, he was probably making 75% of his kicks. That's not good enough. And then you got another guy who's making 50% of his kicks. That's awful. Uh, and everybody remembers when Maher was here, he was awful. So no, I don't think anything that happens can make people feel better until whoever gets that job uh, makes a whole bunch of kicks. And we don't really want to see a whole bunch of kicks because we want to see six instead of three. Yeah, we only kick on a fourth and five or better. How about that? Yeah. I haven't asked about this particular player, and we haven't talked about him yet, but, like, it's a whole different ball game when you are the number two guy showing out when defensive coordinators are focusing on another guy and then coming into a season where defense is no – if we stop you, 
there's a high probability your team is not winning the football game. Is CeeDee Lamb in that position, and is he ready to, like, shoulder that mantle this season? I think so. I think at the end of the year we'll say CeeDee Lamb is a top-10 wide receiver in the league, and there won't be any debate about it. Like That's how good I think he is. Uh, so I think he's ready for it. And if teams were to just exert everything possible to make sure he didn't get the ball, then Dalton Schultz is going to have 200 catches. But uh, early in camp, it was great to see that CeeDee is the guy that they're going to move around pre-snap all the time. He is the guy that they're going to go kind of match up hunting and try to make it hard for you to – double M or figure out what you want to do. Cause he's just going to be on the move so often. And as camp's gone along more and more and more, it's been less tight ends and more CD lamb and more CD lamb down the field. And that connection is looking really good lately. So, yeah, I, I think, and I have a steak dinner bet with Jesse Holly on this. I believe the number he let me bring him all the way down to is 1250 but I think CeeDee Lamb's going to be a 1,300-yard receiver, nine or ten touchdowns. I think CeeDee Lamb's about to go nuts. Jesse, it's a 17-game season, too, bro. What is the matter with you? You are toasted. By week 13, you are done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My man's uh, getting targets. Yeah. You mentioned about them moving CeeDee around and using motion and stuff like that. Is this going to hold up during the regular season, do you think? Because we've kind of come in expecting to see Kellen Moore working some wizardry before, and he kind of does it early in the season, but it's like he, he pulls into his shell as the season goes on. Uh, you know, Maybe that's just a misperception, but that's kind of how we feel, and we're all hoping he really doesn't do that this year. Do you think? think there's some signs it's going to be okay yeah i wonder if last year because like after the dak injury everything kind of got worse that it mm-hmm. was like all right my quarterback's not trusting his line and they're not blocking as well and we can't run the ball that maybe that limits your options a little bit but i just just based on 10 days of observation out there outside of the two minute kind of scenario where you don't have time to do that because you just got to snap 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 it was so prevalent that, yes, I think you're going to have a ton of movement before the snap and a good amount of movement at the snap. I'm glad Let's, to hear that. Man, a lot of good news coming out of Cowboys camp from a guy who saw it with his own two eyes. One Jeffrey Cavanaugh. Again, you can follow him at Time for Jeffrey on Twitter and on uh, the social media platforms. You can also hear his fine work every day on the Ben and Skin uh, program there on 97.1 The Eagle here locally in DFW. So, Jeff, a sincere thank you as always for coming on to join us, man, as a friend of mine as well. I'm glad to hear you're doing well and uh, keep doing your thing, man. We'll be in touch. Okay. I love you, man. Love you, Tom. Love you, Roy. Hey, we love you too, man. So, Cowboys take on the Broncos this weekend, Saturday. First preseason game, and we'll have some joint practices as well going on. So, make sure you check out all the follow-up recaps of those practices there at bloggingtheboys.com. Tom, any parting words for the folks with a little bit of time left? No, I just uh, – it's time to wait and see. As you know, I've, I've been – taking the stance I'm not buying into the hype till I see some on the, the field. And I'm going to try to carry that all season. I want to see the production. That doesn't mean you can't be hopeful. There are some hopeful signs. There's also some problem areas that can crop up and, and really bite them. 
So we're going to get to see a little something on Saturday, even though it's going to all be backup. So we'll just see how the backups do. And I hope Will Greer is doing better because he kind of went off the field on Tuesday. And I don't know if I've seen what exactly happened there. Well, make sure you get your subscriptions on to the YouTube channel there, Blogging the Boys, so you can get all the instant reaction to the game. They'll be live right after the game there on Saturday night and, of course, every Tuesday there on the YouTube. So for Tom, I'm Roy. Big thank you again to our guest, Jeffrey Cavanaugh, for popping on with us. You guys stay riled up on the Cowboys, and we will see you next week. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.